Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's safety chat. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Mike. I'm the Portage County Safety Council Manager. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Coya, who's an industrial safety consultant for the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Compensation. Welcome, Nick. Hey, Mike. How are you doing today? Fantastic. We're also here from two representatives of Impact Solutions, Barb First and Lucy Payne. Welcome, ladies. Good morning. So, Lucy, you want to tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself and what you do at Impact Solutions? I've been with Impact Solutions for 15 years, and I'm the executive director And EAP is what I've pretty much done for 30 plus years. I really love it. And it's a way of helping organizations and their employees in lots of different ways, especially being safe. Barb, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Barb First. I'm one of the account managers at Impact Solutions. So I work directly with human resources and uh, handle a lot of different accounts, businesses, anywhere from profit to nonprofit consult with HR, help employees get in the right direction. And Barb also trains managers, for our listeners out there, on what to look for, warning signs, all these things. We hope to pick her brain at the end of this thing. So ladies, Nick, thanks again for joining us. You two did a phenomenal job on a virtual meeting, a webinar we just did a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, we have to do a follow-up interview with you guys. We have to really talk about this because just the impact and seeing the chat room go on during a webinar and just the emotional impact I felt, and everyone's seen it about the stress since the pandemic, right? What's going on with people? How are people managing life in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of shelter-in-place orders, and everything that's going on politically, social unrest? 2020 has been one heck of a year, right, to say it in nice terms. So, Lucy, what's going on out there? What are you guys seeing at Impact Solutions? Yeah, well, we're seeing, as you can imagine, initially when the pandemic hit, the phones were kind of eerily quiet. The phone calls were down, but the intensity of those that we were getting were very severe. People were in great distress. Well, since then, as you can imagine, the phone calls have picked back up and we're getting tons of phone calls. And, you know, the answer, Mike, is some people aren't managing it very well. And I'm really glad they're reaching out to us. So thankfully, So many employers have an employee assistance program where people don't have to worry about financial barriers to getting some help because, you know, you can imagine a stress like this impacts people. Think about it. If they've already had some trauma in their lives or they're having problems, it only exacerbates that. So the divorce rate is up. We're getting tons of phone calls from people for marital counseling. Domestic violence is through the roof. We're having the increase in suicide, depression, overdose, relapse. Anything that was going on before is only magnified, and now there's more. It's just very difficult for people, and even the most resilient of folks are really struggling uh, because if it's not directly impacting you, you probably have loved ones or colleagues or even just watching the news is exhausting. You were joking about the the, the political environment right now and, and looking at all the people that are unemployed and the, the riots and the uh, you know, everything that's happening, just that is traumatic. I have to really limit my intake of, of news and media and, you know, no Facebook and all that other stuff because sometimes it's just too much. Right. Watching you know, the election last night was, was like watching the Super Bowl. I must have had 300 texts by noon. <laughs> I'm yeah. thinking, yeah. And it went on to like midnight and I probably got to bed at three in the morning. And I'm like, I can't quit watching this. And I know I'm not going to find out who wins, but it's like this 
wow, I'm trying to separate myself, but stay informed. And I'm like, you can't really escape it. So no. Barbara, I did want to get into this real quick, Barb. Everything that Lucy said is a thousand percent true. But sometimes when people filter that information, they're like, you know, that's just people's personal business. We all know right here that's not true. That affects the workplace. So when you go into these companies and you're working with them and you're seeing them and you're talking to HR and you're talking to the supervisors, what do you see going on there? Yeah, I, you know, it's very difficult when individuals have personal issues and, and we all know this, it's very difficult to leave that personal issue at the door in the morning, mm -hmm. you know, and you take it with you, whether that be mentally, whether that be physically or, you know, or both. And, you know, your, your coworkers are your extended family. And so a lot of times they end up being the, your pseudo counselor. And right. so I think a lot of times, uh, too, what we've been seeing really lately is a lot of frustration that maybe is being portrayed as anger in the workplace. People are more impatient. They're frustrated. You know, COVID has gone on a lot longer than what we probably thought was going to happen. And people are mentally fatigued. Yeah, that three um, weeks lockdown didn't really, you know, we're probably in it for two or three years. We're going to be real about it for sure. So, so, Nick, I want to jump in here with you. You're an industrial safety consultant. I know you're not traveling to businesses right now working for the state, but, but you are doing a lot of Zoom calls in, in electronic virtual type meetings. What are you hearing out there in the employment world in regards to stress at work in the midst of the pandemic and everything else going on? Well, you know, unfortunately, with a pandemic and the impact here, especially in Ohio financially on companies, safety sometimes takes a back burner, right? And so they're not paying attention as much to safety because they're just trying to get people to get to work and, and do their work. And that's a struggle right now for companies, just getting employees to show up and getting them focused because they're so distracted by everything that's happening in the world. They're worried about, you know, uh, the person next to them. Are they sick? You know, it's, if you're ever out in public and, and heaven forbid you sneeze right now, people look at you like, you know, you have the plague. And, and so it creates this uncomfortable environment. For me as a safety professional, one of the things that I talk to a lot of people about when we talk about preventing injuries and creating a safer work environment is dissecting injuries and near misses with causal factors. And one of those being the human factor, not I wasn't paying attention, but where was my mindset when I'm at work? And do you know your employees? And so if I know my employees and I see these signs that they're distracted or they have this additional stress, there's a greater potential for injury to occur. And before we could manage that because maybe it was one person and I could pull them off the production line and talk with them and try to engage with them. But when I have large numbers now, so many people distracted, it's not only a hazard for them, but it's a hazard for their coworkers too. So how do we start to manage this? And that, that's becoming more the, the discussion. I used to be more hard skills related to safety, like this is how you lock out a machine. Now we're becoming more soft skills in my safety approach. It's more how are we going to manage the culture and what are we going to do with this changing environment. So it's drastically changing the type of work we provide right now. I wanna share my screen real quick because I wanna go over this stress survey that we did that I think you guys are gonna find fascinating. So I'm gonna go ahead and start that and then all three of you wanna jump in here and bring something up on this. We could, we could sit on it for a few minutes. We don't have to rush through this. So we just did this over the last two weeks, okay? So this is hot off the press. We surveyed Portage County Safety Council managers Here's the first question we asked them. Since the beginning of the pandemic, how much stress are you dealing with? More than half are dealing with a lot or a great deal of stress. Not surprising, but kind of surprising. Nearly a third are dealing with a moderate amount. So only 20% of people said, eh, just a little bit. So this is a big deal all around. And, and this ain't going to shock us, but 
in a typical week, how often do you feel stressed to work? Now, this is hitting the employer piece right here. Nearly 40% of people are stressed to work all the time or most of the time. And then another third said they're stressed at work about half the time. That's pretty intense, right? I mean, right there, we know stress is an issue at work. 40% of the people, I'm always stressed at work or I am most of the time. That's pretty crazy, right? In a typical week, how often do you feel stressed at home in your personal life? Now, you see this come down a little bit. And this is where I really encourage employers to take a look at this. About a quarter or one out of four people always or usually feel stressed at home in their personal life. You compare that to up here. Okay. And usually, and then you go less than half are stressed at home in their personal life sometimes. So there seems to be more stress, according to this survey, with safety council members at work than there is in their private life. And we have more questions on that. And, and I'm not going to argue either. This is the perception of it, right? So here we go. Does stress affect work performance? Well, here the respondents were kind of, they minimized their effect in the performance. Maybe a little pride and humility issue. We don't know. But Coworkers, let's check this out. 12%, a great deal, affects stress affects work performance, 15% a lot. So there you have one out of four people already that, hey, this is definitely an issue. A moderate amount, 37%. And then if you look over the respondents, of course, a little it affects me a little bit, but everyone else affects a lot. <laughs> so this is this is real telling. Work performance is really being affected now because of stress. Okay, now here's here's the funny part too, because it's easier to see it in someone else than ourselves. How stressed do you think your colleagues and coworkers are? Almost half think their coworkers are dealing with a great deal or a lot of stress. They can see it easily on other people. And then they think about one out of four or a quarter think, hey, they're dealing with you know, a little bit or a moderate amount. Here's the big one for the safety council. Do you think that stress causes you, your colleagues and coworkers, to occasionally work unsafely? Now, we know as safety professionals or you two as EAP professionals that one, you know, not doing something correctly or safely one time can have a tremendous impact on this, right? So almost half think that stress likely causes them or the coworkers to occasionally work and safely. Unlikely, just under yeah. a quarter. This is a big deal. I think another piece to this is that the work environment has changed. If you're in a factory, right. you, you there's there's a change to that, right? We got these dividers. We have the separation of you and your coworkers that you used to stand right next to. If you're in an office environment like myself uh, and many of the state workers right now, we're all teleworking. I have not been to a physical office since March. So I've been in my little 10 by 10 uh, home office here since March. Uh, now, typically, I, I identify as an introvert more than an extrovert in a lot of the things I do. And I, you know, I jokingly say I've trained my entire life for this, right? This is, this is my happy space. But at the same time, I find in myself a mood change when I go out at lunchtime and walk the neighborhood and I run into a neighbor and I can talk to him for five minutes, right? There's, there's almost this, this endorphin or this, this pop up of, Hey, I kind of feel better. I'm ready to go back to the office and rock and roll again. Um, but a lot of us have been in here in, in this situation. And I think that extrapolates to something even larger. For me, I have my wife and my two daughters at home that I can engage with. There's a lot of people that, that customers I work with, they're single and they're locked in a house by themselves 24 hours a day, seven days a week in some cases where they're not in, engaging with people. And even if we're typically an introvert type person, we still need that human interaction. And I think it starts to affect this. And, you know, how do we deal with that becomes the question. You know, what do we do when we see the stress in other people? And I think that's where the EAP program comes in. Because there's oftentimes I work with customers or coworkers, and you can just see it in them, the, the physical changes that are happening that to me can be a red flag. 
Yeah, before we get into that, because I do want to get into the EAP portion, I'm going to get through this, though, because I think there's some great talking points here. Which of the following have increased your stress lately? Exactly what you're saying. Loneliness, isolation, lack of human connection. One out of four people, one out of four safety council members, I should say. I think if we took a general population, it probably be even greater in here. Fear of losing a job, layoff, that's a big deal, right? 37% social issues, almost half. And here's the big thing right now. What has caused stress lately? Stress or pressure at work, 56%. Not only do we have to get our job done, we have to do it social distancing, wearing masks, sometimes a hot environment, supervisors under pressure, companies feeling like they're going to get fined or fear of that. Not sure if they have, they're making enough money to lay people off or not. There's a lot of pressure there. And politics, I'm sure it's probably a little higher right now than normal, but it's probably always the high issue. So 66%, they're getting stressed from the political environment. And of course, 68% COVID-19, okay? Here's where I think the lead into the EAP is a huge, huge deal right here. Does your company currently talk to employees about stress and or promote healthy ways to reduce it? Now look at this. Over half, 59%, almost 60% of companies of Portage County Safety Council members, and I'm sure this is representative probably across the board, probably depending on industry, but typically of any kind of general industry type sample that you would take, 59% of companies rarely or never talk about stress to employees. Now, Nick, we promote toolbox talks all the time because that's part of the safety world. You know, a lot of times right. I try to promote team meeting icebreakers for office workers. Okay, you guys may not be doing safety talk because you're not locking out, tagging out machinery, but what can you bring in as a safety talk for those meeting icebreakers? Well, it may be a really good idea to start bringing up stress because most of the companies aren't doing it. Only a third of companies talk about stress to employees sometimes. So this is a the number one issue right now is stress, how do I manage emotionally all these different things? So Barb and Lucy, I don't know which one you want to tackle this, but what do we do about this? We, we see from this survey, stress is greatly impacting our workplaces. What can we do? How does the EAP help, help employees and help us personally navigate everything that we're dealing with? Well, one of the things that we do at the EAP is we have constant communication with folks, either via brown bags, webinars, information on our website. We have all kinds of information on these exact topics because this is what's going on in the world right now. It's you know, causing so many people so much distress. And I think Barb will probably be able to talk to you about how do we get employers to understand that talking about these issues is not invading on people's personal lives or their privacy, that it's providing them with valuable information. They don't think twice about giving them safety information, which is exactly what they're doing by helping them be more focused and more mindful and, and more safety conscious. So there's lots of things we can do. And, and with I'm very proud of our impact team because we've been re- very responsive to COVID and we've been shooting out regular um, additional, in, in addition to our monthly newsletters and, and posts that go out, but um, almost weekly we're sending out tips and tricks and strategies and how to become more mindfulness and taking care of yourself and being aware of those around you and helping somebody out and reaching out to others. I think it's really interesting that your survey shows that most of the folks are aware that this is impacting everybody else, that everybody else is stressed. I'm okay, but everybody else is, is stressed. So there's the awareness is already there. Now, if we can just get them to extend those random acts of kindness or some 
you know, checking in with people, making a phone call, sending a letter, just little tiny things make such a difference in people's lives. But we've got to take care of each other. And that starts with the employer setting that example about how am I caring for my employees and my teammates? I think one of the questions to ask there then, and this is a piece that I saw in previous management roles that I've been in, is that as managers and leaders, we often know about the EAP program, but it felt like the sale for it is, hey, if you see an employee struggling and having a lot of issues, tell them about the EAP program. But that's the only time we talk about it. So it felt like there was a stigma attached to this. And we kind of talked offline earlier about this stigma related to mental health or just, you know, talking about things um, in, in America. And so there's this stigma attached to it that, hey, this is this is a, just a tool in my toolbox that somebody's really, really bad off, right? It's not something that just becomes a normal conversation in daily department meetings. So how do we start to break down that wall and make people understand that it's okay, anybody can call and this service is always available. Let's not just pull that out of the toolbox when somebody's at the breaking point. And Nick, I think you just hit the nail on the head. It can't be just brought up when somebody's struggling. It has to be a part of the everyday conversation. So every time you have a safety meeting, bring a flyer about the EAP, remind people about the EAP, remind them about all the other ways other than counseling that we can be helpful. Think about it. The EAP, or your EAP should if they don't, offers financial counseling, legal, identity theft, which of course, guess what? Those are all big issues too because of COVID because there's all more of that going on right now. So we can provide things like that. We provide mindfulness coaches, nutrition. How many of us have gained the COVID-5 or more? You know, talk to a nutritionist and help and we can help you, you know, get back on the right track. So there's so many other things that people can engage in either on a proactive or preventative means and just making it a fabric, we find that organizations that really partner with the EAP and make us a part of everything they do have amazing utilization. And when I say everything they do, let's say they have an employee appreciation luncheon. Hey, what does that have to do with EAP? Well, they invite us things to hand out. We're there when they do flu shots. We're there when they do, I mean, obviously not this year, but normally. And we've been there virtually with all of these things. We have one of our organizations that does virtual brown bags, and they have hundreds and hundreds of people that sign in to watch these. And they're not on necessarily mental health. They're on how can you be um, more effective at communication, parenting. And then at the end, we always give our little EAP plug about, hey, we're here 24-7. Do you see, uh, Barb, in the workplace, the companies that truly engage in this and fully buy into it? What is the culture of that company and the success of that company? Is there a correlation there? Absolutely. And, you know, Nick, I was going to um, mention, too, I think that a lot of times with the culture, you know, EAP has evolved over the years and a lot of companies have had EAPs for a long time. And I, I think you're absolutely right. They have this mindset that, only problem employees reach out or are asked to reach out to the EAP. And I think those thoughts are now changing because EAPs work directly with wellness, uh, your wellness committee, with your safety committee. It's more preventative rather than this is something that after a situation happens, 
to reach out to them. And I also think it's a mentality of uh, helping supervisors. I know a lot of times supervisors will call me and they'll say, you know what, I'm calling you because I'm just not sure I know how to help this person. I'm not a mental health professional. That's so good. You know, and and it's about that being there for that supervisor or manager. And I think I had said in our um, the webinar way back when that the hardest thing for a manager to do is constructively confront an employee. It's tough. That's a tough job. Especially to do. about a personal issue. And and so we talked about that in the webinar, guys. Lucy, you gave us a good strategy for employers right there. Relationship, relationship, relationship. You have to be present. And is your EAP, are they present? And are, are we as companies, as employers, are we putting this out there all the time? Instead of rarely talking about stress and different things we could do, there's so many different ways we could package this as part of a wellness program. You could talk about the negative aspect of stress and its effects. Just being present, constantly putting information out there and, and Nick, we know from the diffusion of innovation model, they can look that up online. I'm not going to get too far into that, but early adopters come first, small percentage, three to 5% of people adopt. Then comes, you know, the early majority, then the late majority, then the laggards. So some people are never going to use it. But as you start to center that around your culture, daily activities begins to increase. But Barb, we also talked about in that webinar, one of the biggest complaints I've heard about EAPs from supervisors or, you know, HR managers, especially they'll say, you know, we had this guy he had an addition issue and EAP has never worked for us. And I know by just asking the right questions and engaging in dialogue with that person that they got connected that individual to the EAP. I, I know you guys have a specific name for it when it was required for them to keep their job. But, and you could just clearly tell in the conversation that if you would have got that person you worked with, that worker down six months, a year ago, you may have been able to effectively save them and, and take them through a process. You wouldn't have to do the firing. So Barb, what are some supervisors? Cause you do training for supervisors, right? What are some things that you teach them? Hey, here's some warning signs. They look right. different. They come in, they start dressing, talking different. Are they are they usually loud and around everyone, not isolated? What are those warning signs that you see out there that managers listening to this could say, you know what, I, ha I have a few employees that if I can get it now and I'm seeing those warning signs, I can take some action. And you're absolutely right, Mike. And really what we say is any change in a normal personality or behavioral, any changes in appearance that you're not used to seeing or hearing that person or the way that person is behaving, that is the very first thing that you want to look at. You also have to understand that there may be personal issues or things related to COVID that is really stressing that person out. And you had mentioned about communication is such a key. And I think that relationship, that trust that the supervisor has, as well as the employee has with the supervisor, that's so important. The supervisor has to be present with their employees. And I know oftentimes it's difficult because, you know, with supervisors and managers, they have a heavy plate. And by adding a, a, a person that has an issue, it's just adding to their stress level. But you, you just, you got to be there. If someone is verbalizing that they're using more alcohol than they usually are, even in a joking manner, or they're coping in negative ways. You know, I, I think a lot of times people that feel that they don't have control over this situation. And, and let's look at this. We don't have a whole lot of control over what's been happening lately. And I think that it increases the stress, that increases the anxiety. We see anger that, that we've never seen before, impatience, 
decrease in concentration. We see accidents that are happening with people that have had impeccable safety records before. So all of those things combined. If people are talking about changes in their sleeping or their eating habits, you know, these are all kind of red flags that supervisors need to take a really uh, good look at with their employees. And Barb, here's the thing. When you see these active shooters and you see workplace violence, hindsight's twenty twenty. I get all that. But every single case that I've ever seen, there was clear warning signs. Very yes. rare that I've seen a case where they weren't like, oh, you know, you find out the, the person was threatening co-work. And I'm not just talking active shooter, just something you see there. Uh, it could be drugs. It could be any, any kind of thing. But you see warning signs. They tell on themselves. They may come in and just brag about getting plowed or wasted that weekend. And you met, that's new for that person. You know, right. maybe they're calling off on Mondays because of a weekend binge. And, or uh, Fridays. Yeah. Or Fridays. And what we've seen. Posting on social media. Well, I've seen with the, some of the people I have, I worked in employment for many years with veterans and different, you know, uh, people in transitional housing programs and family community services. And what I saw is we're in regular contact and all of a sudden you don't hear from them for three or four days. Absolutely. They don't show up to work. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, what happened? And you find out they may have went on a weekend bench and no one even knew they had an issue. I want to bring Nick in this real quick because Nick, here's, here's one issue that we wrestle with is managers or just as individuals with coworkers, I'm not going to go tell that dude, you know, what kind of duty is. I'm not going to go, you know what I'm saying? And you work a lot, primarily probably in industry type settings, right? You are going to offices and stuff sometimes, but you probably come across supervisors that are afraid to deal with the tough guy or coworkers are like, I'm not going to say nothing. They're not going to listen anyways. What are some tips that you've worked with and seen successful with some of the supervisors to be able to confront people on safety issues not in a safety cop way, as we know that doesn't work, but in a way that kind of brings them on board into that. Because I think those things are going to work across the board. What have you seen out there that really works to help get those real hard dudes or, you know, men or women, it's not a gender thing, but those hard people that really aren't going to listen and we're afraid to really, you know, I'm going to waste my time kind of thing. So I think, you know, when, when we're working with companies and I'm trying to help you change your safety culture, um, the diffusion of innovation model is a big piece for me because I'm going to start with your early adopters. We're going to set some examples with those people. But then I also try to find connection points, a point, a topic or something personal that I can relate to with them on that for that topic. I have a coworker I work with and she tells this great story of a company she worked for before she came to the bureau. And she had this employee who never wore his safety glasses. And it was a constant safety cop mentality, Right. Mike, put your glasses on today. Mike, put your glasses on today. And, and you can do this and you have that small change of behavior, but by tomorrow it's gone. And so just observing the employee and the things that they did, they found that this employee every day, every break they had, every lunch, they sat in the corner and read their Bible. That's just what they love to do. And so she took this approach of, hey, Mike, what happens if you, if you don't wear your safety glasses and you lose your eyesight tomorrow? Are you going to be able to read your Bible? Are you going to be able to engage in that activity? And, and relating this to something personal or to them made that click. And all of a sudden, oh, well, no, I, I want to be able to do this. Well, now I'm going to start to engage in that. So we find try to find these personal connections sometimes for those tough nuts to connect it to them. I had another company where we had a, a female that refused to wear her safety glasses, right? It was just always a battle about it. She worked in an all-male population. She was kind of a diva. And I said, let's just, let's just try something different, right? What, what can we do to appeal to her? to get her to engage in this. What, what can I sell to her on this? So we bought her these pink pair of safety glasses and she thought they were the greatest thing, right? 
And so we bought them for it, and she wore them every day. And he goes, she had those safety glasses for two years and never had to replace them. All right, so it cost you a dollar or two more. But, right, we find these little pieces, these personal pieces. And that's all about not only being a great safety manager or safety director or HR director. It's about being a great company leader. If you know your employees and you know what makes them tick and you really get to know them, you're so much more successful. The safety managers that I work best with are not the guys wearing the white dress shirts and ties sitting up in the corporate office. They're the guys that are in blue jeans and T-shirts and they're out on the floor. They put their, their desk in the middle of the production floor and they can tell you something about every single one of their employees. They can tell you that Mike has a kid. They can tell you that Nick enjoys riding motorcycles. They can tell you something about everybody. And they use those connections, and that's how they start to build that relationship. So I think that's a piece that we have to start doing is we have to tie that personal piece. But I'm also seeing a drastic change in our role. Safety managers used to be more, you know, the hard skill safety and risk management, meaning how do I control costs? But even at the state agency, we're a state agency, first, second, we're an insurance agency as workers comp. We've identified that health and wellness is as important as safety to the uh, to the extent that we now have, with the exception of this year, health and wellness grants, health and wellness programs. We're no longer uh, identified as division of safety and hygiene as division of safety and health, right? We're finding that health and wellness is just as important as those hard safety skills out there. And so I think we're going to see a national movement. And I think the success of that is a safety manager that can manage the, the hard skills and meld into an EAP person and work well with that EAP program. And really what we're talking about is a holistic approach. You're seeing medicine in the health field starting to get more integrated. You know, if I have a pain and I'm going to a psychiatrist, they're going to rec- use counseling to help me reduce that pain. And most of us don't even think that in the Western world, right? And then if I go to a doctor for pain, they're probably going to give me some kind of opioids or maybe another thing now or say take, take ibuprofen at home. And so as a society, we're coming much more integrated. And that's what I'm hearing today is pretty much what you said between safety, health, wellness, and with health, it's just not physical health. It's emotional health. It's mental health and all these different things. And I know probably in my twenties, I went through a lot of trauma in my childhood. I was literally reliving some abuse that I went through as a child in my twenties. I remember I was in college delivering pizzas and I'm literally inside of my mind daydreaming about this abuse. And literally, I would stacking up orders to deliver pizzas. And sometimes in between when I'm waiting on some, I would go outside and grab my head and I'd be like, oh, get out of my head. At the same exact time, I'm writing papers on global economics. So in my mind, Mike doesn't have a mental health issue because I didn't understand difference between cognitive health and mental health. I was intelligent writing papers on global economics and getting A's, graduating with the 4.0 at 3.75 in graduate school. So I'm like, I'm fine. But then texting my friends, we don't meet up with some friends tonight, we're going to go tear the bar up. And that was the only way that we handled it. So it got me in a lot of trouble at a young age, but I didn't even recognize I had mental health issues, even though I was going through reliving traumatic experiences because my view of mental health wasn't even just the stigma of it. It was, there's nothing wrong with my mind. I'm writing, I'm smart. I'm going to school. I'm going to graduate school. There's no issue here. And so how do we overcome that? Not just the stigmatism, but just the way we view that, Lucy or Barb, whoever wants to take that. How do we do it personally to be able to overcome? And I think as a society, we're doing a good job of that. We're headed in the right direction. But how do we also do that as employers and coworkers to be able to change our culture to where, like you said, the conversation's always on the table. No stigma attached, like Nick mentioned earlier. But we could talk about it in a way that's not offensive and just open arms kind of approach. Well, I think that other than it being just a part of our daily fabric, 
I think we also have to model this behavior. And it starts, as, as Nick was saying, from the managers and supervisors not being afraid to have these conversations and to be talking about things. I mean, you know, think about it. You don't think twice about going to the doctor if you have a cold, or you don't think twice about going to the dentist to get your teeth taken care of. But God forbid you're having some anxious thoughts and you're going to go talk to somebody about it. It it takes people a lot of courage still. As far as we have come in 2020, it is still a big step for many people to make that first call to the EAP, even though it's confidential, it's free, it's all of those things. We still have so much further to go. And I think the only way that we can get there is just constantly, constantly, constantly having these conversations and sharing experiences. And, you know, Mike, you having the courage to share your experience today goes a long way in other people going, oh, wow, I feel the same way. I never thought about it that way. So we just, we just have to keep talking about it. Barb, did you have anything other? I agree totally. And I think the other thing is having as much resources and access to assistance as possible. Social media, you know, having not just a phone call because they, they may not be in a private area, but being able to access through texting or via email, you know, as many avenues that a person can have to access. I think there's, you know, there's been a lot of media like um, the swimmer that does the commercials. You know, I think some of those grounds have been broken and people are starting to talk about it. I think it's, it's in the way that you talk about it. You know, when you say mental health versus mental illness, you know, those two give totally different connotations. And one person may seek help for mental health more so than thinking that they may have a mental illness. So I think a lot of it has to do with language. I think a lot of it has to do with awareness, acceptance. Lucy had mentioned earlier just about kindness. I think that relationship building, you know, if a person trusts you enough to talk with you and share that, I think that's huge. So I think access is, is really important. And having EAP connected to your workplace I mean, that, that's great access. What I'm hearing is there's three keys I'm getting out of this. The first one from Lucy, the very beginning of the podcast, is relationship. Relationships are key. That's 100%. You have to be there. You have to be present. Otherwise, there's no circle of trust, you could, so to speak, to establish that, you know, the, the trust factor to, I feel safe enough to come to you or use your services. So that's a huge deal. The second thing Nick mentioned is, and Barb mentioned as well, frequency, access. Talk about it all the time. Get it in there and out of there over and over and over and just keep putting it out there and keep putting it out there. And like Nick said, the other thing is, third thing is relevancy. Make it relevant to them. That guy reading the Bible, 90% of the people that may not be effective for, but for him, it was meaningful to make him think, hey, maybe I should really listen to this because I wouldn't want to go do that. And we've done a whole campaign called Why Stay Safe that focuses on that, making it personal. So if you're listening to this and you're like, how do we talk to employees about stress? First off, establish relationship, healthy relationships they can trust. Two, like Barb said, create access and frequency. Keep saying it over and over. Talk about the conversation. You can have the same conversation four, five, six, seven different ways from different angles. And like Nick said, make it completely relevant. Now, Barb, for anyone listening to this to say, hey, I hear what you're saying. I'm all about the employment piece of it. But man, I'm really struggling here. 
you know, I'm dealing with stress before I try to take care of everyone else. You know, like an airplane, you got to put your own mask on first. What are some quick tips that you could give them to say, hey, if you're dealing with stress, here's four or five things to look at right now? Well, one of the things that I always use and, you know, self-care is very important and you're right, it trickles down. So you got to be you got to take time for yourself. And if you look at it in terms of our life areas, we have mental, physical, social, emotional, as well as spiritual. And if you could do something once a day in one of those life areas, whether that be to take care of yourself more mentally, take care of yourself more physically. Spiritual doesn't have to be an organized religion. Like Lucy said, it could just be kind to somebody else. Send a card. It makes you feel good. It makes them feel good. You know, focus each day on one of those life areas. And also too, think about what has worked in the past. When you have been stressed good, yeah. in the past, what has worked and focus on that and build off of that. Yeah. And I know there's there was a time where I heard people say some stuff. You know, I went through some abuse with individuals as a kid and I heard a guy say, forgive them with your mouth until you actually forgive them with your heart. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. But I had no other option, so I did it, and it actually worked. It took me through a process where anytime I would think of that trauma, I would say, in my mind, I forgive you, so-and-so. And I would just say that. Then eventually, literally, substance abuse issues and things I went through began to just disappear. I didn't have to face addiction. Like, I'm going to fight this addiction or substance abuse. It was literally like I just didn't crave it anymore. And I realized there was inner healing going on that changed behavior. I didn't try it through behavior modification. I didn't have success through behavior modification. Although I do believe in that to a degree, but it's literally the inner healing that brought the change of behavior. And I think a lot of times people miss that. And that's something you guys probably deal with and, and preach all the time. And I know we do in the social service world that we're trying to get out beyond the walls. But just thank you so much, ladies. That was awesome, Barb. Thank you. Just whatever works yeah. for you. There's times where I literally have uh, just heard people talk about a gratitude journal. I'm like, gratitude journal? Ah, whatever. And then I actually sat down and made myself do it for one. I think I saw someone on Facebook go, 30 days to Thanksgiving. And they were posting something they were thankful about. So I started doing it. And I started doing a journal. I got through like a week and I felt my entire attitude and how I treated my wife was different. Not that I treated her poorly, but it's just, I'm nicer, happier. I'm going around. So whenever I start to feel it, I go back to a gratitude journal, you know, being a big, strong man like myself. I always thought that was girly. You know, I'm not a sissy. I don't need to write. I'm not an artist. All that kind of stuff that we, we deal with inside and realize, hey, there's some truth to it. And what it did was the journaling wasn't magic. All it did was reshift my focus to what yeah. is going right in my life instead of what's going wrong. And that's a key tool there. And one of the positive things about COVID, Mike, is that people have, have been so creative from the get-go, you know, and the, right. that creativity and how to help each other through this. And I think we just need to keep that momentum going. Absolutely. Yeah. So. I just want to say out there to everybody, we don't promote companies, but if there was a company and if I had a company, I would really look into impact solutions. I'm not endorsing them. I'm not to do endorsements, but the closest thing I could do to that is I'm just saying, just talking to these two and see how they do business. I'm sure every company I know has some sort of EAP poster hanging up in the HR office that no one cares about with an inch of dust that no one sees. And I'm not telling you you have to hire them, but I'm saying get an EAP company. And, and maybe they're not because you never engaged them. But get an EAP company that you can engage with, that you, you can have on site and partner, not just as a fall through to say to check the box to say, hey, we do this for employees, but no one ever used it. Engage them, allow them to engage your employees and let that relationship uh, set up. So with that being said, 
Lucy, if someone's interested in finding out more about how Impact Solutions and your EAP programming, but how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, thanks, Mike. And, you know, although I'd, I'd love to be the EAP for all your folks, the, the bottom line is, like you said, just get one. If it's not us, get somebody that's going to partner with you. But people can feel free to call either myself or Barb directly at 216-292-6007, or you can shoot me an email. It's lpayne, P-A-Y-N-E, at my impactsolution.com. All right. Thanks, everybody. And everybody out there, listen to this. Listen to it a second time or watch it if you're going to watch it, by the way, a video. And just really take it in and start to think, how can I engage employees? And if I need help, how do I can st- How can I start adding stuff? Is it through self-help measures, through self-care? Do I need to talk to someone? Do I need to go beyond that? Hey, whatever you need to do, do that for you because that's take care of you just like the airplane. Put your mask on first and then you can help other people. So ladies, thank you very much. We'd love to have you guys back on again sometime in the future. Everybody out there, be safe. Our pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.